strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show this morning. Uh, as you heard Jeff say in the news, uh, the mayor of Phoenix was on yesterday with Gatos and Chad and was talking about the $20,000 raise that Phoenix police officers are getting. I was been I had been having some conversations behind the scenes with officers in Phoenix and uh, reached out to plea the Phoenix Law Enforcement Association. That is the union that represents rank and file uh, street cops all over. And they are the largest group that represents street cops and uh, wanted to have a conversation with them. So joining us is plea president Daryl Crippling. And uh, Daryl, let's start with the raise. Um, at its foundation for the new recruits that's coming in, is this a good thing for the young officers that are coming on to Phoenix PD? Well, good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Uh, to answer your question, yes, this is a great thing for the newest applicants and the newest officers within our, our department. Uh, they're going to realize a, a huge increase in the pay. And would you say that that is a necessary tool for recruitment? Absolutely. That, that's just one part of it. But when you're being um, essentially every when every other agency in the state was paying more than us, it was hard for us to get the most the best candidates, the brightest and the best. So now let's look at the other the more senior officers as the experienced officers that climbs up that ladder. Are you seeing the same kind of increase for the senior officers as you're seeing for the new recruits? No, sir. And that's where it was a little bit misleading yesterday with the mayor. Um, you know, folks like myself, the most senior officers in the department, um, you know, the way they, they did paying the class and comp study, they rolled in our current compensation of career enhancement points and longevity to add to our hourly rate. So while our hourly rate on paper went up, our total compensation did not. And in fact, guys like myself um, that are the, you know, some of the most senior officers in the department realized 100 and $59 a year increase yesterday. So it works out about seven cents an hour. So the increase you're going to get right now when this when this kicks in or as this kicks in, you're only going to get an extra 150 bucks or so in the first year. That's correct. And because it's you know less than 3% of an increase, um, there's going to be an increase for guys like us at the six-month mark versus the, the one-year anniversary date of this beginning. Uh, but our contention from the beginning was is that officers, wherever you were in the old step, whatever step you were at, should have been transferred in at that same step in the new pay scale. And, and that would have been an immediate increase um, for all of the officers across the board, not just the, the, the newest and um, the junior officers. So will you uh, realize as you progress, as you get more years on, are you seeing an increase in those steps? Yes, sir. So uh, in the next, so my, my point, uh, or my case uh, specifically, um, I will, it will take two and a half years for me to then, you know, top out at the pay scale uh, in step nine. Um, so when I do top out, it'll be about a $14,000 wage increase over that two and a half years. And I'll tell you, I mean, our guys are out there every day, in and out, working with conditions of, you know, understaffing, increased call volumes and workloads. And this, had we been transferred over at just the same pay step that we were at in the old step, this would have been a huge thank you to those officers for going out day in and day out and doing their job. It would have been a, a real a real uh, nice boost. I mean, essentially, the, the state of Arizona is leading the nation 
inflation and inflation. So, I mean, that seven cents an hour is not going to go far. So when you look at uh, the totality of this package, how do the officers or let's go with just how plea, how does plea view this um, on, on a grade scale? It's good for the young recruits, but it's not for the seasoned officers. So what do you say in the overall package? What should have been done differently and what grade do you give it? The whole package. Well, I mean, I, I, I give it a B, right, because it was needed. Um, I just think the implementation uh, was less than we, des- you know, less than we desired. Um, the officers should have been transferred over at the same steps that they were in the current, in the old, in the old step. They should have been put into those same steps on the new step. Um, but overall, I mean, it's great. It just, it's, it's unfortunate that it's going to take the most senior officers, uh, you know, a couple of years to, to realize a, a true benefit from it. So when you, uh, did you have any input on this did you even after the fact have you talked with the city management and and have they given you an explanation as to why it was implemented the way it is well, through this process, I mean, because it was a class and comp study, we really had no input in it. Um, we were able to have some effect on the start dates. Originally, this wasn't supposed to start this phase two until uh, January of this coming year, this next year. Um, but it, it came down to what the city could afford. And, uh, you know, their explanation was is that it was just too cost prohibitive to roll everybody in at the current step. So, Do you have any idea what that cost would have been if they had done it the way you wanted? Do you know what the cost increase would have been? I don't know what it would have been that, uh, you know, had they rolled it in that way. I know that with the increase in compensation across the board for all the ranks, it, it costs the uh, department an extra $21 million to roll it out the way they just did. Do you believe that this will cause seasoned officers to be um, uh, unhappy or will they leave the agency because of this or is this just something that is bothersome? No, I, I, there's a lot of folks that are unhappy, and rightfully so. Um, I, I mean, the, the people that are most loyal to the city, to the department, uh, and, and are out there doing their job day in and day out with lack of resources that we have, um, they, they felt slighted, and, and I can't blame them for that. Um, you know, the mayor mentioned that when she was asked about a retention, uh, something for retention for the senior officers yesterday, she she kind of mentioned the, uh, the state legislature in the drop extension bill. Um, but then she started talking about how other calls were going to be answered by social service workers and stuff like that. But, but to be honest, I mean, drop isn't even that great of a carrot because right now we're only averaging about two and a half years uh, per police officer. It, the average is about two and a half years to stay in a drop, and then they're they're retiring from that. So, and, and yeah, before I let you go, can you explain a little bit of that? In the, in that, and I've talked about what it takes for a new officer, someone who was first day in the police academy, to actually be a standalone officer. The disparity in experience. What is that doing to the agency when you're going to get a flood of new recruits coming in, but you're losing so many senior officers? What does that do to the agency? Well, that's that's experience you can't replace in any um, short amount of time, right? I mean, these are officers. That, the experience that we have walking out the door every day is 25, 20 to 25 years of, of police experience and special education and, and, and in whatever realm they're in, whether they're detectives or patrol officers. I mean, that's experience that you're losing. And these new officers, I mean, to become a full-fledged officer that is capable of taking their calls and operating uh, in a matter that's uh, is essentially productive, you know, it takes six months, maybe a year or better, but they will never ever glean that type of, of, of experience that has just walked out the door when someone decides to retire. Especially when these young officers are going to lean on the senior officers on the street for that experience and advice as they grow in their career. 
Absolutely. Daryl, I appreciate the insight in this, and I want to keep continue this conversation moving forward. But I, I'm glad you kind of clarified some of the perspective from inside the agency, and hopefully this is something that works out well for the city uh, in totality because in the end, I know you want what I want. That's safe streets and cops that are well compensated and an agency that's fully staffed. Absolutely. And don't get me wrong. This is this is a good this is a good pay structure. Right. We just don't like how it was rolled out and how the senior officers were kind of left sitting on the bench um, when it came to increases in their in their compensation. Yep. Point well taken, Daryl. I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Mike. Appreciate all right, it. All right. That is uh, that is Daryl Kipling. He is the head of the Phoenix Law Enforcement Association, the president of PLEA. That is the union that represents the rank and file cops on the streets. And uh, just give you a little bit of a perspective. And I thought it was a very fair analysis as well. He said, overall, it's a good. I give it a B. It was necessary, but it left some senior officers on the bench was the phrase he used. So we're going to talk more about this as the day goes on. In a moment, I mentioned yesterday that there are a lot of people going to be concerned about the huge growth of the IRS. Well, you're going to hear how concerned coming up here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Thanks so much for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with us as always yesterday on the show. I talked about this uh, Inflation Reduction Act and parts of it that were scaring and very concerning to people, scary and concerning. And a lot of it had to do with the IRS and uh, the growth in the IRS. There was a little back and forth on CNBC with a White House econ- uh, economic advisor. And this was the conversation because middle class, middle size, you know, small businesses, middle class people are concerned that with 87,000 new agents with the IRS, that this is going to cost people a lot more in taxes and it's not just going to be the upper echelon. So here is a little bit of the back and forth. Nobody under $400,000 will pay higher taxes under the Inflation Reduction Act. Let's be very clear about that. And look, you talk about small businesses. The minimum corporate tax kicks in at over $1 billion in profits over the past three years, averaging over the past three years. Now, uh, if you have two, three, five employees, but your profits are a billion dollars, yeah, uh, you will face the, the corporate minimum tax of 15%. All right, but what's conflated there in that is, and this is what they went on in the interview to say, is that people are concerned with 87,000 new FBI, or FBI uh, IRS agents on the streets. They are going to be auditing businesses that are not making $400,000 a year, and those businesses are going to pay more in taxes. So um, this is, I want you to hear Mike Crapo, the Republican for Idaho, and this is what he says about it, the senator. Everyone knows that the targeted money in the bill cannot be achieved unless the middle class, people with incomes under $400,000, are hit with a wave of new audits. And they're saying over 1 million audits a year. And this is, again, nonpartisan in this sense. I don't think any of us out there want to give more control and power to the Internal Revenue Service. It is the scariest agency in the federal government. No one has ever gotten a letter from the IRS. It's like it's like getting 
getting bad news uh, in the, you know, it's like getting a bad medical diagnosis. Y- you get that letter from the IRS, what do you do? You leave it, you don't open it because you don't want to know what's inside, but you know you got to open it eventually. Maybe you make yourself a stiff drink and you contemplate what could possibly be in that envelope. We've all gotten those before. I've been audited. Um, and, you know, the process was, it took all day and I hadn't done anything wrong. And in the end, they found out I hadn't done anything wrong. But there are going to be more and more of these. So we are spending billions of your tax dollars for more agents to get billions more of your tax dollars. So the idea that this is an Inflation Reduction Act, when you see the other pieces of it, has been with my pro- what my problem is with this. If this, if you build this as the Climate Change and Pay Your Fair Share Act, I wouldn't have liked it, but at least I would have credited them for being honest about it. Um, the economic advisor will not say if the 80 – this is a White House economic advisor – will not say if the 87,000 new IRS agents will audit those making under $400,000 a year because they are. And here's the other part of this. Why does it make it OK to audit the people making more than that? Why is it that if you're wealthy in this country, you deserve to be audited, but the people below that scale don't? And we know that they've tried to do this at local governments in different ways to try to – they've tried to figure out a way to collect sales taxes at garage sales and limit the number of garage sales you can have. And they've gone after – that's why they don't want street vendors because you're not paying taxes. And we know that they've done that as well. But why is it okay? Why is it acceptable to the American public to get 87,000 more agents to go after more people? This should be Americans, not wealthy Americans and middle class Americans and working class Americans. It should be all the Americans saying we don't want this agency bloated like that. You're going to hire 87,000 agents. Make them ICE agents. Make them be Border Patrol agents. That's what we need, not IRS agents. American fears IRS will use Inflation Reduction Act funding to audit average and lower income taxpayers. I'm just reading headlines. Um, and so these are the questions of why would you sign on to this? You know, it's an election year for one of our two senators. Why would he sign on to this? Um, and so this is something we're going to continue this conversation as we go on. The, the issue here is about is this what they say it was? This Inflation Reduction Act, they aren't even calling it that anymore. It is a – they say it helps with inflation. Chuck Schumer brushes over that with his description of how great this bill is. And what do they focus on? Wealthy corporations are going to finally pay their fair share, which you'll end up paying and I'll end up paying at higher costs because they're not going to eat the tax. And then uh, after that, it was this is the biggest climate change bill that this country has ever proposed. At a time where inflation is where it is, they are dragging more money out of the American economy for their climate agenda. That's what this is all about. And it's something we all should be aware of and we all should be concerned about. Not just wealthy people, small businesses, people that work for small businesses. You work for a small business, that that employer is not going to have a whole lot of money that's going to be able to give you a raise or give you a bonus at Christmas time or pay for a health insurance plan or at least kick in for one. You know, contribute to a 401k. It's being taken by the government. And this is something every American worker should be concerned about, not just wealthy people. Everyone should be concerned about this. 
Coming up in a moment, we are going to go back to President Trump's and the raid at his home. An interesting conversation this morning with a former FBI agent. His name is Steve Hooper, over 30 years with the agency, and how concerned he is about what this is. We'll talk about it next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, school is back in session, and we've got a great program here called Pay Tribute to a Teacher. And what we're able to do is you can nominate a Great Valley teacher, and one of those teachers is going to earn $2,500, a check for $2,500. You could be nominating the next teacher that we honor. Just text the word teacher to 411923. That's teacher to 411923. Pay tribute to a teacher presented by your Valley Toyota dealers. And a big thank you to them. So uh, the big news of the day has been uh, the raid at the Mar-a-Lago home of President Donald Trump. And uh, so the politics of this is what everybody is screaming about and asking about. And so on one side of the political aisle, you've got people that believe we finally got him. He committed a crime. He deserves this. Nobody's above the law. So raid his house. On the other side of the political aisle, you say this is pure politics. This is ugly. It's never been done before. It's unprecedented. It's unnecessary. And it stinks. So I went to a great resource. My friend Steve Hooper, who is spent over 30 years with the with the FBI, his wife over 20. Their careers are as illustrious as they get. And what I mean by that is when you look at the assignments they've had, the Washington field office, both of them were at the Washington field office, the SWAT team, the head of the Joint Terrorism Task Force in Phoenix, the ASAC in Phoenix. These are not just seasoned um, uh, agents with the FBI. These are agents that had illustrious careers and multiple leadership roles within the agency. So if there's anybody out there that would know the inner workings and how things normally work and what looks right and what doesn't look right, it would be Steve Hooper. And the conversation with him, the best way I can describe it was he was exasperated. It was he doesn't understand. And I asked him, is this a normal approach? Is this something that normally happens? And this is how he tried to answer that question. This didn't appear to be a normal approach and a uh, uh, normal uh, process that uh, that we've seen throughout uh, our career and, and certainly all the years we've been. We had done search warrants. So they were working out of the Washington field office. And when I say they, I'm talking about him and his wife. And he was talking about them working when they were with the Washington field office. They were a part of some major uh, investigations and government officials. He talked about about the investigation into the Clintons, which they were a part of, and how different this is from that. So I was in that Washington field office for 13 years, and we worked some pretty high-profile cases on government people, including the former president and first lady, the Clintons, in the 90s. And that was all known by, at the highest levels with uh, public statements out there. It, it was all a coordinated effort to do this under the cover of darkness early in the morning at a former president's house was highly, highly um, unusual. And if you can kind of – well, I know Steve, so I can kind of tell the difference in his inflection and how he's talking. He's measuring his words very carefully. But you can also hear in his voice that he is confused. It's confusing to him that this is being handled this way. You're talking about a former president of the United States. So the other part of this is – and I only know this from our conversations about other investigations that have happened. Is it common – 
to send Washington field office agents to effect a raid in in Miami. Sorry about that. In Miami. Or is it more is it usually done where the Miami field agents do this? Is this a Washington field office something that they regularly do? It's not unusual for agents from one field office to go to another field office if it's their case. So you send a couple of the case agents down to coordinate with the local field office to conduct a search warrant, interviews and so forth. But to send to for the the entire operation to be handled by the Washington field office in Miami. Again, highly, highly unusual. So all of this, again, it is now lending itself to the idea that this is very, very, very political. And uh, he talked about other people in the agency. One of them, he said on social media, and and this is something I just know from knowing the Hoopers, that um, there is a fraternity within the FBI, much like the military, where you follow your the unit you worked with, you follow the branch of service you worked in because you take pride in what you were handed by the generation before you and what level you took that unit with or whatever – you took that to another level, or at least you maintained a high standard. And when you pass it off to the next generation, it's not like another job where you wipe your hands of it and walk away. They keep tabs. They are they watch that agency because it, you still feel like a part of that family. And when Steve said that there are agents that were definitely anti-Trump that are going on social media and are very careful in what they're saying but criticizing how this was handled, what is going to end up happening here, I believe, is you are making – for the people out there that are anti-Trump, and there are many of you out there, this is going to make the former president a martyr. This is not going to destroy him. As if you look at the solidification of support behind this president for the people that support him, it is stronger than ever. They are – their resolve is stronger than ever. And now you make it look like the FBI is being used by the Department of Justice to effect a raid when none was necessary. And this is where he talked about the blowback. The blowback, he's, when Steve says blowback, he's not talking about to the Biden administration. He's speaking specifically about the blowback to the reputation of the agency. If this doesn't have a significant, if there's not a significant outcome in this search and that there's not a, a, a significant criminal act that's involved here, the blowback on this is going to be, is going to be huge. So what could have been done? Why is this so uh, different? What is it that should have been done and how you handle this? And he talks about the raid. I mean, you, do, you do a search warrant and an early morning entry on drug raids and on, uh, you know, uh, um, home invasion uh, investigations or human trafficking, something where evidence may be destroyed. And that's why you go in early in the morning. He wasn't even home. I mean, they could have issued a subpoena and just gone in and taken all the documents or had him bring all the documents. It just is something not right here. So the optics of this, again, look at the optics. It looks as if the the crime of the century has been committed. You know as well as I do. When you see that, that, uh, you know, when you see a raid, and I think maybe you've you've definitely seen one on TV if you haven't seen one happen in a neighborhood. When they come rolling in in a caravan and they either kick down the door or it's because it's a no-knock warrant or they come in mass. um, They had – if you look at some of the pictures of what's happened, there is an FBI vehicle blocking a driveway 
with a federal agent standing there armed with an automatic weapon or at least a semi-automatic weapon. I don't know if it was an automatic weapon or not. It gives the that impression. Crime of the century. Here we go. And this is what he's talking about. That the President of the United States, if he's got documents that the government wants, you subpoena the documents and he sends those documents or he you come get the documents, whatever it is. It wasn't necessary to put on this show. That's what I'm hearing from the people I know within the FBI. And I will tell you that these are not all people that are pro-Trump and certainly not far right-leaning people. They are just going on their years of experience and saying this is how it's always been done. And this is different than anything we've ever seen, ever seen. So I'm anxious to see how this plays out. Court of public opinion, how does this end up playing out? In a moment, we talk about the Arizona teacher shortage and why some people are saying that it's happening. That's going on in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with us. Arizona has a teacher shortage. I know that's no shock to anyone. Arizona teacher shortage worsens as students return to the class for a new school year. So the mantra has been that the reason why these teachers are leaving is because of low pay. And I agree with you. In many cases, the teachers deserve to be paid better. I think I'm a capitalist. And with capitalism comes realities. And the reality of being a capitalist is this. If you want to recruit and retain good people, you have to pay them. My problem with the that thought process or the way at least it's being handled now is that there isn't much accountability, that there is kind of a lumping in. And maybe I'm wrong, and I hope somebody out there can tell me if I am wrong. And the accountability is this. If you're not a good teacher, you should. it's like being a – if you're a bad cop, you're dangerous. Let's be honest. And good cops hate bad cops, and they want them gone too. Makes the job harder, makes the job more dangerous, and gives the entire agency a bad name. They want them gone. And I think good teachers want bad teachers gone as well. And it's dangerous in a different way. If you're not a good teacher, and there are some people that may love the job, they're just not good at it. If we're focused on the students, we have to look at results. And if you're getting results and you're a good teacher, you should be paid and treated as if you are a valuable asset to the entire community. If you're not getting results, you got to stop blaming it on everybody else. you got to stop blaming it on everything else. Because I guarantee you it doesn't happen. The Phoenix Police Department is dramatically understaffed. If a cop does not do his or her job, they are going to be reprimanded for it. It's going to be in their permanent file, and they can be fired, and many times they are. They are told this is not for you. There are officers that get hired that don't make it through FTO. That's field training officers. They just don't make it through FTO. And we need more accountability with teachers. And I think that will make the good teachers' jobs easier and make it better for them. All right, Georgia mom, here's a headline. Georgia mom blames woke push for worsening teacher shortages, not what they signed up for. And I think they're right. That's another angle on this, that there are teachers. And and here's the proof that's in the pudding with this one. If you remember back in 2018 when the Red for Red movement happened, when it was formed and it happened, 77, I think it was 77,000, but it was over 70,000, 70,000 people marched on the Capitol in support of teacher raises over 70,000. Now, I'm not going to get into the politics of it, but the teachers had parents and supporters standing out and lining the sidewalks at schools across the valley, across Arizona. 
they have the full support of the community. They can't get a dozen people to show up at a rally now. They have the same 12 people, 15 people, 20 people that show up, and they've been doing it with the COVID stuff they were doing and the lockout stuff they were doing because teachers saw how absolutely political this became. And teachers don't want to be involved in politics, just like cops don't. I mean, I keep comparing the two because the left sees teachers with the same kind of heroism that the right sees police officers. And I think I I value them both differently but with the same level of respect. Cops don't want to be involved in politics either. You know what I mean? They're not uh, – this whole thing with the Trump raid seems and smells political. My friends that are, have been in the FBI are saying this stinks. This looks horribly political because it's never been done this way before. They don't want anything to do with it. And teachers don't want anything to do with politics either, largely. There are some very politically motivated teachers out there, but for the most part, they just want to teach. So with all of these agendas outside of the standard curriculum and all the fighting back and forth, a lot of teachers are leaving. Charter schools stopped to sue Biden administration, sue to stop the Biden administration's attack on educational opportunities. And what is funny about this is it's about successful schools, charter schools, that are, we're going to lose some funding and there were some rules that we're going to be changed. And what's funny is when they're successful and they are largely successful, the complaint is, well, they get to cherry pick their students or they get this or they get that. Well, why don't we start modeling public education after the successful schools, whatever it is, especially for older kids. If you are a distraction, if you're an, if you're a high school student and you are a distraction, to everybody around you and you're doing nothing there, why are we catering to that student? Why are we catering to the lowest common denominator? You've got to be there for the children that want to learn. It's got to be a safe, friendly environment for kids that want to learn. And the bullies and the drug dealers and, the, and just the hangers around have got to go. They have to go. And I don't think unless we start seeing some of these changes, you're not going to see major changes in education. I just don't think that it's going to happen, and it's unfortunate. After 10 o'clock, we're going to talk about um, consumers lowering their expectation because of inflation. The true effects of what's happening with the economy and inflation, not so much about the bill that was passed and what it might do, but real consumer feelings in America. That's coming up next.